Just a quick heads up, this episode contains some sensitive language and subject matter. Welcome to Hear Me Out. I'm your host, Celeste Headley. Workplaces around the country are reckoning with what it means to be a truly diverse, equitable, and inclusive workplace. It's a movement that's existed since the civil rights movement started gaining traction, but you'll note that hostile workplaces very much still exist. If you work or you go to school, you've probably had to sit through a DEI training, and you, like many other people, have probably wondered what the point is of all these buzzwords and chief diversity officers. Is it even working? Our guest today argues no, and that it's time to change course before workplaces accidentally make things worse. They say the word diversity a lot, especially in public. Secretly, deep down inside, they don't want to change a thing because the system is working just fine for them as it currently is. CEO and entrepreneur Cindy Gallup joins us on Hear Me Out in just a moment. Stay with us. Welcome back to Hear Me Out. I'm Celeste Headley. The world is evolving rapidly, yet we're not embracing inclusion at the same pace. We're all different and our differences can generate various points of view and contribute to creativity and innovation. You're listening to a clip of a diversity training video from DuPont, the materials and chemical engineering company. If it sounds familiar to you, it's probably because you have had to sit through training like that at some point, either at work or at school. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI initiatives, are being talked about pretty much all the time in workplaces in America right now. And for good reason, obviously. We know that white-collar America is a very hard place for anyone to exist who is not white or a man or often straight and cisgender. In the C-suites around the U.S. right now, around 17% of leadership positions are held by black or indigenous people of color, and only about 6% of our CEOs are women. But even if you're not in a position of power, many of us know all too well, the macro and micro aggressions that are just part of existing in the workplace. Obviously, we have to make change and we've needed to make change for a long time. But our guest today argues that what we're doing isn't actually helping. She says hiring diversity officers and staging traditional DEI training just doesn't work. And not only that, she says these things might actually cause more harm than good. Cindy Gallup, CEO of If We Ran the World, joins us. Hi, Cindy. Hi, thrilled to be here. Good to have you. And for uh, the benefit of our listeners who don't know your name or you, can you tell us what you do? Sure. So um, I'm an entrepreneur first and foremost. I'm the founder and CEO of Make Love Not Porn. But alongside that, I work as a consultant, a personal coach, and a public speaker. And I characterize my approach to all of those things as I like to blow shit up. I'm the Michael Bay of business. <laughs> which is the best tagline anybody's ever had, I think. I'm biased, but it is so great to have you here. And, you know, I interviewed you years ago now for my book, Speaking of Race, and I was surprised at one point when you said that if a company has a chief of diversity, it's a sign already that they're not doing it right, <laughs> that something's wrong already. The fact that that's included in their org chart why? So um, let me explain the foundational problem behind the appointment of the chief diversity officer. At the top of every industry is a closed loop of white guys talking to white guys about other white guys. 
those white guys are sitting very pretty. They've got their enormous salaries, gigantic bonuses, big pools of stock options, lavish expense accounts. Why on earth would they ever want to rock the boat? Oh, they absolutely have to do things related to diversity. So they appoint those chief diversity officers. You know, they announce diversity initiatives. They say the word diversity a lot, especially in public. Secretly, deep down inside, they don't want to change a thing because the system is working just fine for them as it currently is. It's like the old joke about the light bulb. How many therapists does it take to change the light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb has to really want to change. <laughs> and in every industry, the light bulb does not really want to change. And so that chief diversity officer is absolutely being set up for failure. And regrettably, I think a lot of chief diversity officers out there would, would agree, agree with me on this. And, you know, um, I, you know, um, full admission, I work as a DI consultant to businesses, but I take a very different approach to the way I think a lot of other consultants in this area do, which is based on my own observations, beliefs and philosophies. Here's the problem with announcing your chief diversity officer, your diversity initiatives, putting into like the corporate mission statement, we are all about diversity. First of all, um, that inevitably alienates the white men and white women within your company who instantly feel mistakenly that this emphasis on diversity means that they are being excluded from ability to succeed, et cetera, et cetera. So um, you then get um, a, um, a scenario within the culture of the company that is not conducive to embracing diversity inclusion. And secondly, it's human nature to balance things out. And what I mean by that is, you know, we feel that if we're doing something really good in one area, it's okay to do something less good in another. The really obvious, um, very everyday example is, I just had a diet Coke, so now it's okay to eat the bag of chips. And so the danger in companies is when, when you know, the CEO and the management team are blowing on about, we've done all these things to do with diversity, we're, blah, 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 we're all about diversity, is that, you know, the rank and file of employees go, oh, we've got diversity taken care of over there, so I can carry on operating as I always have. And that does not integrate diversity inclusion into the very fabric of the company. So, uh, you know, but for many companies, these diversity initiatives are the only <laughs> thing they're doing to address inequities within a, a company. Like if you do away with that, it just goes back to business as usual, right? Isn't something better than nothing? So, you know, where I come from, um, Celeste, on this is, um, as I say, you know, I bring my own philosophies to my um, my own DEI work. And, you know, one of those is um, at the ad agency I spent a lot of my career at, Bartle Bogle Hegarty BBH, our approach to the creative work we did was, uh, our philosophy of creativity was, we don't sell, we make people want to buy. I don't sell diversity inclusion, I make people want to buy it. And what I mean by that is, if you genuinely want, um, and as I say, um, we already have to question the genuinely want on the leadership front, a lot of companies, but if you genuinely want to integrate diverse inclusion 
into every single aspect of your company, you don't do it by superficial cut and paste stick on initiatives. What, what it requires instead is actually what my industry advertising prides itself on, um, and I use it analogy deliberately, it requires extremely ingenious strategy and highly creative execution. Because you need to ensure that every single point along the business, you know, creation, production, distribution pipeline is absolutely integrating diversity and inclusion as opposed to simply what looks good. And, you know, I'll give an example of how I operate. So um, th um, this happened a couple of years back, but I was asked by a company um, and, and, you know, very laudably, in this case, there was absolutely authenticity of intent within the senior leadership. They were a relatively young company and they absolutely wanted to make sure that they grew as they, you know, they began as they meant to go on. Um, they wanted to be fully diverse and inclusive. They'd set themselves a goal of, you know, we want to reflect the demographic makeup of the United States. You know, 50% of the population is African-American. We want 50% of the company to be, you know, et cetera, et cetera, um, right, which is yeah. a terrific goal. And so they hired me to help them achieve this. And what I recommended to them was, um, and the company was still relatively small, so I could do this. I said, I want to interview every person within your company. Okay. Um, and I want to do it to be able to familiarize myself with, with the company culture, the way things are working, to be able to identify the things that you can then do to be sure that you grow, you know, diversity and inclusively. I said, so here's what you're going to do. You are going to tell your company that you have hired me to help with business development. And so I'm going to, you know, they flew me to the company, which was not New York, you know, and, and you're going to announce that, you know, you've hired me to help with that. And so I'm going to come and do, going to come and meet the people in the company. I'm going to do a series of 30 minute interviews, which are basically to help me familiarize myself with the business, how it operates, so I can advise on, you know, business development, revenue growth strategy. But no mention no of mention, diversity or equity. No mention in at all. Yeah. You know. So, um, so that's what they did. They, they flew me in. I met with everybody in the company, um, terrific people, by the way. And I made it very clear to each of them that, you know, this conversation was purely for my own benefit. It was completely confidential. I would not be reporting on the contents of this conversation to anybody, you know, in the leadership, um, which I didn't, by the way, you know, what I extrapolated was themes, you know, not what anybody said, you know, specifically. And in that scenario, um, people are very willing to open up generally. But obviously, um, you know, because again, um, my industry advertising does not get enough credit for what we have to be good at to be good at our jobs. To be good in advertising, you have to be a master of human psychology. You have to be brilliant at consumer insights. You have to be able to analyze scenarios and, you know, get to conclusions and be able to understand human motivation. So I'm applying all of this. And so, you know, at the end of the day, you know, with everything I learned in those interviews, I was able to put together a strategic plan for the leadership, which I then talked them through, which was how they could ensure, you know, full diversity inclusion within the company. And the company were, you know, I mean, the people themselves were none the wiser about, you know, when, you know but I mean, they knew that I'd, I'd helped. Um, and, you know, that worked really well. And so much so that in fact, 
um, they did actually bring me in sometime later to talk to the whole company about um, how to win in business with obviously diversity and inclusion being a fundamental part of that. Um, but, but in the first instance, I knew that what I could do would be much more effective if nobody went, oh, you know, oh, she's coming in to talk about diversity and inclusion. Well, I feel hostile already. And I'm, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so that's the kind of approach I take. And I mean, the, the statistics back that up. We have lots of research showing that uh, at this point, DEI initiatives often backfire because the very reasons that you've just said, that especially white people feel defensive, they feel as though it's a zero-sum game that they will be losing. We're going to talk more about this in just a moment. Uh, we're talking to Cindy Gallup and we're talking about whether or not DEI initiatives help. This is Hear Me Out, podcast from Slate. I'm Celeste Headley. We'll be right back. And we're back. We are talking about DEI initiatives and whether they are a waste of time and money. I'm Celeste Headley, and with me is Cindy Gallup, uh, and she is the CEO of not just Make Love Not Porn, but also If We Ran the World. And Cindy believes that companies don't necessarily need, do not need, chief diversity officers. Shouldn't have them. Which one is, is right here? Chief diversity officers is a, is a yellow flag, right? That's a, it's a warning sign that something's wrong. Yep. No company should have a chief diversity officer, um, not least because, you know, quite frankly, those brilliant, you know, black and of color talent that are chief diversity officers at the moment, they don't want to be the bloody chief diversity officer. They want to be the CEO. Okay, um, um, so, you know, separate to the general theme of our conversations list, what is appalling about the chief diversity officer role is that it is hiving off into it brilliant talent of colour that should be the COO, that should be the CMO, should be the CEO. But, but literally, that is now, within white leadership, the perceived career path for talent of colour within their organisation. You know, so um, so that's a huge problem as far as I'm concerned, um, but, but also because, you know, you do not delegate the task of making diversity inclusion happen to a chief diversity officer. You have to integrate it within your organization in ways that, that are not about, you know, um, imposing, you know, rules and regulations and things that you should do. And, you know, and, um, and you know, I'm, I'm going to give you um, an example of, you know, again, the way I like to approach this, because um, what I do with companies is I look at the hierarchy and the operational um, uh, structure of the organization and identify the key nodes at which you need nudges and prompts that will make diversity inclusion happen. I'm going to give you an example from my industry. So, the wonderful Alma Harrell is a female director who um, many years ago started an initiative called Free the Bid. And it was called Free the Bid because in my industry advertising, when you have to make a TV commercial, you get at least three bids from potential directors. And all too often, all three of those bids are from very well-known white male directors. You know, because creative directors advertising like to work with famous directors and people have done it a lot before. Yeah. So Alma's fantastic initiative, which she taught me about before she launched it and I helped advise on it, was to get agencies and brands alike to commit that when you put a TV commercial out to bid to directors, you will make sure that one of those bids is, is from a female director. Yeah. 
And so, you know, she, she launched this and a number of agencies and, and companies signed on, which is great. Um, and, and I can say more about that, but I won't for the moment. Um, but anyway, so, so she, um, she and I had a business conversation where um, she was talking to a sponsor about getting a budget from them and asking me about the best way to spend it. And she was thinking about spending it on PR to kind of get the word out about Feed a bit more. And I said to her, and, and this is because, you know, I was an agency CEO for many years. I know the, the way the ad industry works inside out. I said to her, Alma, honestly, if you want to get many more agencies, to get many more female directors to bid, I would not spend that money on PR. Instead, I would spend that money on getting um, a little slogan, something like, make sure one of those directors is a brilliant woman. I would get it framed really nicely and classly, so it looked like a gorgeous object. I would get 300 of these produced beautifully, and I would send them to 300 heads of TV production in ad agencies and ask them to put them on their desk or hang them on the wall. Because I know what happens in the TV production process, okay? The agencies talked a great game about, we signed on to free the bid. You know, we're absolutely committing to, the head of TV production is like under 24 seven pressure. You've got 15 pictures going, you've got this, you know, oh right, okay, we've got to find directors for this commercial. Let's get bids in from, blah, blah. that is the moment at which that t head of TV production's eye needs to fall on that framed thing on their desk, on that framed thing in their wall that says, make sure one of those is a woman. That's how you intervene at that node of the process to make damn sure that one of those directors being asked to bid is a woman. So you feel that a, a something like that could actually bring about more changes in behavior than all these DEI training programs that we do. That's one example of a particular approach I take to companies combined with others, which is look at, as I said, key nodes of your operational process. The pain points. Or the points where one little nudge, one little prompt makes a dramatic difference. I'm always looking for the points where the impact is disproportionate to the size of the intervention required. Interesting. I mean, there's a there's a lot of evidence out there showing that traditional DEI training programs, the ones where you sit at the click through the slides and watch the videos and then take the little quiz to show that you have met your mandatory training, that those not only don't work, but there's some good research showing that they backfire. And I know that you want to move the needle on things like uh, inclusion and and diversity as well. Um, so is it possible that what we're doing right now is the best we've got? Like, why do we, if we, if a company can't afford Cindy Gallup <laughs> to come in and create a bespoke plan for you, what's the other option? So the other option is, um, you know, this Celeste is why I talk about all of this very publicly in, all, in many of my speaking engagements um, and in interviews and why I live my own philosophy, which is communication through demonstration, because that's a very important part of what companies need to do. You foster diversity inclusion when you demonstrate to everybody in the company the results of diversity inclusion. 
when in a company you are making the opportunity happen to demonstrate what diversity inclusion results in phenomenal output phenomenal help to get the company to success driven by diversity that is what changes people's mindsets Okay, we're going to take another uh, short break, and we'll be back in just a moment to uh, finish up this conversation about whether DEI initiatives and chief diversity officers are worth the time and energy we spend on them. I'm talking to Cindy Gallup, and this is Hear Me Out. Welcome back to Hear Me Out. I'm Celeste Headley, and with me today is Cindy Gallup. And I want to maybe zoom out just a little bit. Do you think that equity issues, inclusion issues, whether they be related to race, whether they be related to gender or sexuality or ageism, uh, body type, ability, do you think that's the biggest challenge in the corporate America right now? Quite frankly, no. Um, and I say that because I changed my own thinking on this back in um, 2017. So 2017 was when um, the New York Times ran their expose of Harvey Weinstein. And I've been talking publicly about sexual harassment in our industry for years because nobody else would. And so over the years, I've had a ton of people write to me with horrific stories. And I always try to encourage them to tell their stories to, to the media. And they were too terrified to, understandably. So when the Harvey Weinstein saga broke, I thought maybe at last now is the time. And so I posted on Facebook without thinking a great deal about it. I just went, women in the advertising industry, the time has come to name the Harvey Weinsteins of our industry, like the brave women who outed Harvey Weinstein in, in Hollywood. I said, you know, email me and I will connect you with trusted journalists to tell your story in the media because now's the time. I was inundated. My email inbox for the next several months was an avalanche of emails from women and men in our industry and, and not just in the US, all around the world. And I was so horrified by watching off men box because I'd always known it was bad. I'd never known how bad it really was. That I was, I was due um, three weeks after I made that post to give the opening keynote at the 3% conference. And at the last minute, I changed my talk to make the first 15 minutes of it about what had shown up in my inbox. And in that talk, I said to the audience, what I have seen over the past three weeks has changed my own point of view, because I've been saying for years that the single biggest business issue facing every industry is diversity and inclusion, and I've realized it's not. The single biggest business issue facing every industry today is sexual harassment. And that's because sexual harassment manages women out of industries. Sexual harassment derails women's careers, destroys women's ambitions, crushes women's dreams. And in doing that, sexual harassment keeps out of leadership power and influence the female leaders who would make diversity and inclusion happen. If you want diversity and inclusion, end sexual harassment, because at the moment, that is the single biggest obstacle to making DEI happen in every industry. Okay, but here's the rub. It is that there's no such, I, I don't know of a company, at least, that has a chief sexual harassment officer. Um, so there's, an, there's a, an issue that is not being addressed in the same way that DEI issues is. 
although they do often have sexual harassment training every year. So that part is very much the same. So again, it leads me back to this, what is the solution then? Um, if, if it's not annual training, if it's not having a, a specific person who is supposedly very experienced in that area, overseeing it and sort of making sure that company policies are, are fair and not abusive, then what do we do? Sure. So, so two responses to that. The first is sexual harassment magically disappears in any workplace environment that is 50-50 gender equal or more female than male. Because the moment you have at every level of the company, a gender equal 50-50 female male, or as I say, ideally more female than male working environment, you instantly change two things. You change the bro culture that says it's okay to sexually harass, which is implicit in many male dominated environments. And you change the male attitude that goes in a workplace where you are not exposed to brilliant women of equal professional standing every day, you change the male mindset that goes, I only see women in one of two roles, girlfriend or secretary. When you equalize gender, and ideally um, female dominated rather than male, guess what? Suddenly, poof, no more sexual harassment. The second thing I recommend, and, and, and I talk to companies about this is, the way you end sexual harassment in the office is by inviting sex into the office. And what I mean by that is leadership needs to make a statement of good sexual values part of their corporate mission as much as they make a statement of good everything else values currently. So, you know, in your company mission statement, in your company town halls, in everything you do to do with your culture, you make it crystal clear that part of your company culture are these values, including good sexual values and good sexual behavior. You make that an open statement. You make that an open expectation. It's when you openly talk about that as a corporate expectation that people know they have to deliver against that corporate expectation as a gold standard of corporate culture and corporate values in the way that so many other things are openly talked about as being part of that. Okay, I know we are gonna get lots of responses to this because this is something that almost everybody has experience in and I have found everybody has an opinion on it. But I gotta say, uh, you, uh, you make a good argument. <laughs> uh, Cindy Gallup, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure, Celeste, as always. So as a person who operates in this space of diversity, equity, and inclusion, I mean, I have to say that many of the statistics are on Cindy's side. Um, it is true that a lot of the DEI training that we go through not only doesn't work, but it, it backfires. It's hard to argue against that because where's your evidence? But there's also part of me that says, look, this is what we got. Right? Like if we say that DEI initiatives don't work, to some extent, I'm afraid that we're feeding into that chorus of people saying, see, why are we wasting time and money on this? You know, let's just go back to what worked before. And what worked before was exclusive, discriminatory and biased. So, that, you know, there's a little bit of fear in me that says, oh, we can't do away with this because then we'll have nothing. But, you know, I am so interested to hear what you have to say. I want to say thanks once again to Cindy Gallup. And 
as always, so often on this podcast, we have these thought-provoking conversations that leave me with more questions than I had when I started. And if that's true for you, we want to hear your questions. We want to hear your thoughts. We want to hear your answers. And you can email us. It's hearmeoutatslate.com. Some of you have used that email address already, and we're so thankful that you have. We got this email from a listener in reference to last week's conversation with Gabrielle Blair. She was talking about whether children owe their parents anything. And a listener named Michelle wrote this to us. I have three boys aged 15, 13, and 11, and I tell them all the time that after you grow up, getting married and having children is not the next step. That's in all caps. It's a routine phrase in my household. I love my children, but I have seen people around me betray who they truly are to do the thing that society pushes as a normal next milestone. Those of us that had kids before our frontal lobe finished developing did not have the ability to make an adult decision like this. So scientifically, yes, people in their 30s are making the decision knowingly to have kids. And while it's still not an easy decision, people in their 30s are making it with the full capacity of their brain. Loved this work. Thank you so much for bringing light to this. And thank you, Michelle. What a thoughtful comment. If you are listening and you have thoughts about parenting or DEI or anything else, we would love to hear from you. Again, our email address is hearmeoutatslate.com, and we are here to hear you out. Hear Me Out is a podcast from Slate. The show is produced by Maura Curry. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations, and Alicia Montgomery is VP of Slate Audio. I'm your host, Celeste Headley. Until next time, speak your mind, but keep it open. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.